The Braille Forum, Volume 50, July-August, 2011, Number 1, Published by the American Council of the Blind. Read by Ken Jackson in the studios of the Cutting Corporation, Bethesda, Maryland. This recording is tone-indexed. The beginning of each item in the table of contents will be indicated by a beep, audible when your cassette player is in fast-forward or rewind. The American Council of the Blind strives to increase the independence, security, equality of opportunity, and to improve quality of life for all blind and visually impaired people. Mitch Pomerantz, President, Melanie Brunson, Executive Director, Sharon Lovering, Editor. National Office, 2200 Wilson Boulevard, Suite 650, Arlington, Virginia, 22201, 202-467-5081, Fax, 703-465-5085, Website, http, colon, slash, slash, www.acb.org. The Braille Forum, trademark, is available in Braille, large print, half-speed four-track cassette tape, data CD, and via email. Subscription requests, address changes, and items intended for publication should be sent to Sharon Lovering at the address above or via email to s-l-o-v-e-r-i-n-g at acb.org. The American Council of the Blind, trademark, is a membership organization made up of more than 70 state and special interest affiliates. To join, contact the national office at the number listed above. Those much-needed contributions, which are tax-deductible, can be sent to Attention, Treasurer, ACB, 6300 Shingle Creek Parkway, Suite 195, Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, 55430. If you wish to remember a relative or friend, the National Office has printed cards available for this purpose. Consider including a gift to ACB in your last will and testament. If your wishes are complex, call the National Office. To make a contribution to ACB via the combined federal campaign, use this number, 11155. For the latest in legislative and governmental news, call the Washington Connection, toll-free at 800-424-8666, 5 p.m. to midnight Eastern Time, or read it online. Copyright 2011, American Council of the Blind. Table of Contents President's Message Presidential Potpourri by Mitch Pomerantz Side 1 Legislative News and a Request from the National Office by Melanie Brunson Side 1 MLK Library, DCPS, and BRS Unite to Benefit Students with Print Disabilities by John N. Williams Side 1 Old Attitudes Die Hard by Carl Jarvis Side 1 The Accessibility Lesson, which my co-workers and I learned during dinner, by Ron Brooks. Side 2, 15 Ways to Maximize Your ACB Membership, by Kenneth Simeon Sr. Side 2, Affiliate News. Side 2, Passings. Side 2, Letter to the Editor. Side 2, Set Your Course. Side 2, Here and There, edited by Sue Lichtenfels. Side 2, High-Tech Swap Shop, Side 3, 
Correction. Due to an editing error, there were references in ACB's Audio Description Project Updates, June 2011, to the year 2010. They should have read 2011. We regret the error. Forum Subscription Notes You can now get the Braille Forum by podcast. To subscribe, go to the Braille Forum page on www.acb.org. If you do not yet have a podcast client, you can download one from the forum page. To subscribe to the Braille Forum via email, go to www.acb.org slash mailman slash listinfo slash brailleforum hyphen L. Are you moving? Do you want to change your subscription? Contact Sharon Lovering in the ACB National Office 1-800-424-8666 or via email s-l-o-v-e-r-i-n-g at a-c-b dot org. Give her the information and she'll take care of the changes for you. President's Message Presidential Potpourri by Mitch Pomerantz This month's column poses an interesting challenge given that while I'm writing just prior to the Memorial Day holiday, a full six weeks ahead of the ACB 50th Annual National Conference-slash-Convention, many of you won't read this until your return from that historic gathering. Such challenges keep me alert and looking forward to facing each day as your president. So, rather than focusing on a specific topic, I want to touch on a few items as we enter into summer. Let me begin by indicating that ACB has hired a new director of development. His name is Stephen Obremski, and he comes to us with over 20 years' experience fundraising for several not-for-profit organizations, including the Guide Dog Foundation. Steve has an outstanding reputation as a fundraising professional and real-world knowledge of blindness and blind people. Steve's knowledge and experience are personal, as he himself is blind. He will start his job on June 6th, and the Board of Directors has every confidence that he will be an outstanding addition to ACB's professional staff. Welcome, Steve. I want to now put in a personal plug for what I believe will be a wonderful travel and educational opportunity. Under the able leadership of Sandra Sermons and Pam Shaw, chair and member of our International Relations Committee, respectively, ACB has entered into partnership with Rhodes Scholar to offer an eight-day adventure to Madrid, Spain, during April of 2012. This excursion will allow blind and visually impaired people, along with their family members, if desired, to gain a first-hand and hands-on look at one of the cultural centers of Europe. Thanks to our Spanish counterpart, ANSE, tour participants will get to touch and experience architectural models of historic landmarks, visit a number of agencies which provide valuable programs and services to blind Spaniards, and enjoy fantastic Spanish music and food. Donna and I will be celebrating our 10th wedding anniversary next March, and this trip will be our gift to one another. Come celebrate with us in Madrid in 2012. On a very serious note, even though summer is here, threats to the way we live as independent, blind, and visually impaired people are hard upon us. Throughout the nation, state and local legislative bodies are taking meat cleavers to our programs and services, 
from public transportation and paratransit services to Medicaid and in-home personal assistance. You name it, it's being pared down or eliminated altogether. This is no time for complacency. I urge each and every member of a state affiliate where serious budget-cutting discussions are taking place to organize visits to your city councils, boards of supervisors, and or state legislatures to make the case that such cuts will only force more of us to increase dependence on other publicly funded resources. It may even drive many otherwise independent blind people to enter assisted living or other similar facilities. We are at a critical juncture in many parts of the country, and we must act now to maintain our self-sufficiency. As I conclude my second two-year term as ACB president, I'd like to acknowledge and thank the literally hundreds of volunteers who staff and chair the nearly 30 committees and task forces which do so much of the day-to-day work of the organization. I recognize that most of you have other significant responsibilities within your state or special interest affiliates, and perhaps both. You may have job and family commitments, which occupy another major chunk of your time and energy. Many of you are involved in community and or church-related activities, which further limit your availability to carry out the work of ACB. As someone with limited discretionary time myself, please know that I sincerely appreciate the time and effort you give on our behalf. Regardless of whether I'm the president when you read this, the weeks immediately following the convention are when the president is thinking about filling positions on the aforementioned committees and task forces. Fresh ideas and new blood are always welcome and certainly necessary in sustaining and enhancing the efforts of those entities. If you are interested in being considered please contact either the ACB office or me directly no later than September 1st. I can be reached by phone at 626-844-4388 or via email at M-I-T-C-H period P-O-M-E-R-A-N-T-Z at earthlink.net. Ladies and gentlemen, The past four years have been the most challenging and personally rewarding period of my adult life. The American Council of the Blind is truly the greatest and most democratic organization of blind and visually impaired people anywhere. I am extremely proud of what ACB has accomplished over our 50-year history and believe absolutely that we will accomplish even greater successes in the years and decades to follow. Likewise, I hope that you share my pride and vision for ACB and our collective future, and that you will join me in seeing our shared vision to fruition. Legislative News and a Request from the National Office by Melanie Brunson Two of the items on ACB's 2011 legislative agenda have attracted quite a bit of interest in congressional offices during the months since our legislative seminar. Thanks in large part to the work of ACB members, H.R. 860, which amends the Internal Revenue Code to promote charitable donations of qualified vehicles, has gained 61 co-sponsors. As readers may remember, vehicle donation has been a very beneficial revenue-raising option in the past for both ACB and its affiliates, but recent changes to the tax code made it much more difficult for people to donate vehicles to charity and for charities to rely on such donations for revenue this bill would reverse those harmful changes. I urge readers to take a look at the list of co-sponsors. If your representative is on the list, 
please take the time to thank him or her. If not, please ask him or her to support H.R. 860. The bill's sponsors are John B. Larson, Democrat, Connecticut, and David G. Reichert, Republican, Washington. Current co-sponsors include W. Todd Aiken, Republican, Missouri, Lou Barletta, Republican, Pennsylvania, Roscoe G. Bartlett, Republican, Maryland, Shelley Berkeley, Democrat, Nevada, Rob Bishop, Republican, Utah, Sanford D. Bishop, Jr., Democrat, Georgia, Joe Bonner, Republican, Alabama, Michael E. Capuano, Democrat, Massachusetts, Jason Chaffetz, Republican, Utah, Mike Kaufman, Republican, Colorado, Gerald E. Jerry Connolly, Democrat, Virginia, Jim Cooper, Democrat, Tennessee, Jim Costa, Democrat, California, Joe Courtney, Democrat, Connecticut, Rosa L. DeLauro, Democrat, Connecticut, Joanne Emerson, Republican, Missouri, Sam Farr, Democrat, California, Bob Filner, Democrat, California, Barney Frank, Democrat, Massachusetts, Marsha L. Fudge, Democrat, Ohio, Christopher P. Gibson, Republican, New York, Charles A. Gonzalez, Democrat, Texas, Raul M. Grijalva, Democrat, Arizona, Tim Holden, Democrat, Pennsylvania, Steve Israel, Democrat, New York, Eddie Bernice Johnson, Democrat, Texas, Henry C. Hank Johnson, Jr., Democrat, Georgia, Timothy V. Johnson, Republican, Illinois, James R. Langevin, Democrat, Rhode Island, Rick Larson, Democrat, Washington, Robert E. Lata, Republican, Ohio, Barbara Lee, Democrat, California, John Lewis, Democrat, Georgia, Blaine Lutkemeyer, Republican, Missouri, Carolyn B. Maloney, Democrat, New York, Jim McDermott, Democrat, Washington, James P. McGovern, Democrat, Massachusetts, James P. Moran, Democrat, Virginia, Grace F. Napolitano, Democrat, California, Bill Pascrell, Jr., Democrat, New Jersey, Ron Paul, Republican, Texas, Bill Posey, Republican, Florida, Ileana Ross Leightonen, Republican, Florida, C.A. Dutch Ruppersberger, Democrat, Maryland, Tim Ryan, Democrat, Ohio, John P. Sarbanes, Democrat, Maryland, Aaron Schock, Republican, Illinois, Fortney Pete Stark, Democrat, California, Steve Stivers, Republican, Ohio, Betty Sutton, Democrat, Ohio, Glenn Thompson, Republican, Pennsylvania, Patrick J. Tiberi, Republican, Ohio, John F. Tierney, Democrat, Massachusetts, Adolphus Towns, Democrat, New York, Lynn A. Westmoreland, Republican, Georgia, Joe Wilson, Republican, South Carolina, Robert J. Whitman, Republican, Virginia, Frank R. Wolfe, Republican, Virginia, Lynn C. Woolsey, Democrat, California, and John A. Yarmouth, Democrat, Kentucky. Another issue that has captured a lot of attention 
is accessible labeling for prescription drugs. We do not have an actual bill to introduce yet, but we are working very closely with congressional staffers who are interested in helping us develop a legislative proposal. These discussions have led to a request, which I am about to pass on to you. As we talk with members of Congress and their staffers, it is helpful to have specific information that illustrates the need for accessible prescription drug labels. We would like to put together examples of situations in which people with visual impairments had difficulties because of their inability to identify their prescription medications. If you or someone you know has a story to tell about such an incident, especially if your inability to identify a prescription impacted your own or someone else's health, we would like to hear from you. Please send your stories about this to Eric Bridges, ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs at the National Office. You can email him at ebridges at acb.org or send them by mail to the office address listed on the cover of this magazine. Make sure you tell us your full name and the city and state you live in. We will compile these stories for use in our meetings on Capitol Hill. The information they provide will also serve as the foundation for the background material in support of our proposal. If you have questions about either of these proposals, please feel free to contact Eric Bridges. We both thank you for your help and will keep you posted as these and other legislative activities move forward. MLK Library, DCPS, and BRS unite to benefit students with print disabilities by John M. Williams. Washington. Recognizing the need to improve educational opportunities for District of Columbia Public Schools, DCPS, students who have a visual impairment, a physical disability, or learning disability, administrators from the DCPS, the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Public Library, and Blind Rehabilitation Services presented their vision of access to digital accessible books from Bookshare. At an April ceremony in the MLK Library's Adaptive Services Division, Dr. Richard Niancori, Deputy Chancellor for Special Education, said, For individuals with disabilities, the odds are against you, but it does not have to be that way. Tragically, the unemployment rate for people with disabilities is 66% higher than their able-bodied peers. For blind individuals, the unemployment rate is 70%. This is not the future that we see for students with disabilities at DCPS. Nian Corey stressed that DCPS wants to create a system of world-class services that supports graduates with disabilities to ensure they finish college and get jobs so they can live as independently as possible. According to Nian Corey, access to assistive technology is a key goal of the DCPS. He believes access to assistive technology is a fundamental tool for students to increase their independence and quality of life while breaking down barriers to academic and employment opportunities. Quote, Such access to assistive technology breaks the cycle of poverty that is so prevalent among District of Columbia Public Schools students with these types of disabilities and instead puts them on a trajectory for economic success, lifelong learning, and service to their community. Unquote. Betsy Bowman, Vice President of Benetech Bookshare's Literacy Programs, said, Bookshare is honored to participate in an event that is changing the lives of these students and many others with print disabilities. The Mission of the Office of Special Education 
Norma Villanueva, Program Director in the Office of Special Education for D.C. Public Schools, focused on the population of students who have print disabilities. Historically, individuals with these types of disabilities have experienced poor academic outcomes. They have been segregated into separate classes, separate programs, and separate schools. Prison statistics show that as many as 60% of inmates have disabilities that affect learning. Outcomes are worse for students with these disabilities living in D.C. Many such students face barriers created not only by their disability, but also by race, immigrant status, and socioeconomic condition. The DCPS Office of Special Education's mission is providing a set of services and supports to meet the unique needs of these students and make the D.C. public school system the first and best educational option for them and their families. DCPS's vision is that these students will receive textbooks and other core instructional materials in accessible formats at the same time as their non-disabled classmates. Through Bookshare, this program gives students with print disabilities equal access to the general curriculum, provides more opportunities for integration in the general education settings with non-disabled peers, contributes to higher graduation rates, prepares more students for college entry, and ultimately results in higher rates of employment. To that end, the school system is partnering with the Rehabilitation Services Administration and the D.C. Public Library's Adaptive Services Division to ensure more positive outcomes for these students while they are in school, a seamless transition to post-secondary life, and positive outcomes once they leave the school system. Historically, thousands of disabled students across our nation can tell you their stories of feeling left out, unprepared, and at risk for falling behind. They can tell when they fell behind. They were either assigned a dedicated aide to modify their schoolwork, copy for them from the chalkboard, take notes for them, provide tutoring, or they were segregated into special classes, special programs, or special schools. Sometimes these students were assigned a dedicated aide and segregated away from their non-disabled peers into highly restrictive settings. When the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, IDEA, was reauthorized, provisions were added to ensure that students with print disabilities had equal access to the general curriculum at the same time as students without disabilities. These provisions created a National Instructional Materials Accessibility Standard, known as NEMIS, and a National Instructional Materials Access Center, known as NEMAC. NEMIS is a technical standard used by publishers to provide source files that can be used to develop Braille or audiobooks. These students may one day transition from having their needs met by the school system to having them met by the Rehabilitation Services Administration with the goal of satisfying employment and independent living. NEMAC provides standardized source files to those who have been authorized to obtain them for the purpose of producing textbooks and other core instructional materials. To ensure that students with print disabilities didn't have to continue to wait weeks or longer for their textbooks and other instructional materials, as a school district, the Office of Special Education embraced the use of assistive technology. It conducted instructional media assessments to determine if a student's primary learning channel was tactile, visual, or auditory. It also conducted assistive technology evaluations to determine if a student's primary learning medium was Braille, large print, or text-to-speech. Based on the results of these findings, 
the Office of Special Education made recommendations for appropriate assistive technology devices to individualized education plan teams. The students' stories. The ability to download source files from Bookshare and access them using assistive technology devices has made a difference for DCPS students with print disabilities. Legally blind Christian Williams attends Turner at Green Elementary School. Although Christian has a difficult time seeing details, he can see large print on a My Reader machine with white letters on a black background. He is learning to use a Braille note so that he can read more books without having to carry heavy Braille volumes around. His view on assistive technology is, "I am discovering new adventures in reading." Wilberto Alex Cruz attends Alice Deal Middle School. He is legally blind and strengthens his reading skills by seeing and hearing materials simultaneously. Alex uses Victor Reader Soft, which enables him to access synchronized audio with magnified text. Quote, "I have become a world traveler." Unquote. With the use of assistive technology, he says, Alexis McGee attends Woodrow Wilson High School. She lost her vision two years ago as the result of a neurological disorder characterized by pressure around the brain and swelling of the optic nerve. As a young adult, it has been difficult for Alexis to learn to read Braille by touch. Alexis is using Victor Reader Stream to listen to assigned textbooks and novels. She says. Assistive technology will advance my education and career opportunities. Danica Walker also attends Woodrow Wilson High School. She has low vision. When reading, Danica manipulates the font size in Microsoft Word documents using a laptop computer. She says, "Assistive technology allows me to meet my goals." Carlos Zacharias Hilton recently enrolled at the Woodrow Wilson High School. He has albinism. Carlos has low vision, and he uses Read Out Loud accessible text reader software on a laptop computer. He says, "With assistive technology, I feel included and not separated." Trishel Brown attends Woodrow Wilson High School. She has retinopathy of prematurity. Trishel uses the Zoom feature on an iPad to enlarge print for accessibility. She says. With this technology, there are no barriers in front of me; they have been knocked down. Wallace Dews attends Woodrow Wilson High School. He has an eye condition. He uses the Zoom feature on a laptop computer to access print. Wallace says, "I can see a future for me." Sabrina De Silva attends Sharp Health School. She has an eye condition as well as some physical limitations, and uses Victor Reader Soft. With a laptop computer and switches to enable her to stop, start, and pause in textbooks and novels that she is listening to or reading. Quote, "This technology allows me to plan my future." Unquote. She says, "Poverty will not be part of my future life." Devante Jenkins attends Calvin Coolidge High School. A learning disability that affects reading negatively impacts his ability to access print. He listens to an assigned novel using an MP3 player. He says, "Assistive technology liberates me." Old attitudes die hard, by Carl Jarvis. Remember the old adage, "Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater." 
which makes me wonder, how many of you have ever given or been given a bath in a freestanding tub, one from which the water could be thrown out? End of Side 1 Side 2 The Braille Forum Volume 50, July-August, 2011 Number 1 This side contains The Accessibility Lesson, which my co-workers and I learned during dinner by Ron Brooks 15 Ways to Maximize Your ACB Membership by Kenneth Simeon, Sr. Affiliate News Passings Letter to the Editor Set Your Course Here and There, edited by Sue Lichtenfels Continuing with Old Attitudes Die Hard by Carl Jarvis Think of how many of our expressions come out of the past and are based on a way of life that no longer exists or is fast disappearing. A stitch in time saves nine. How few people now pick up a needle and thread to do more than put a button back on a blouse or shirt? A quarter past the hour makes no sense to our grandchildren when clocks no longer have hands. And how many horses are there in a 250-horsepower engine? Little things like dialing the phone. Really? What do we do to a modern phone? Punch it? We can't dial something that has no dial. And what in the world do we mean when we say, just in the nick of time, or it's down the road a piece? Well, before it sounds like I'm just babbling, my point is that we hang on to old expressions long past the day when we knew why we used them. We say things out of habit because we have established general agreement on what they represent. My grandma used to say, He's so poor he doesn't have a pot to pee in or a window to toss it out. Now we understand that this fellow is really poor, even though none of us have ever peed in a pot or looked for a window have we? But here is my point. We as a society hold on to outdated ideas just as we hold on to old expressions. Our attitudes about blindness are based on thousands of years of belief that have been passed from generation to generation without folks ever giving much thought to them. Blind as a bat conveys a particular mental image when applied to a particular situation. He flew into a blind rage tells us something about the antics of someone who is out of control. She groped blindly for the door, gives us a beautiful picture of how lost this poor soul is. Down a blind alley, he turned a blind eye. All are expressions that all of us understand. All are based on attitudes about folks who lived and died thousands of years ago and who lived in a very different world. While we blind people live in a much different world today, and are very different from those lost souls on whom such expressions were based, we are nonetheless stuck with them because they are broadly understood and make a general picture of the point being made. They have nothing to do with how blind people function today, and yet they have everything to do with how society sees us. Try and think of ways the word blind is used in expressing a positive point. We say, he had a keen eye for the task. We know that this fellow is on top of the situation. But there is no positive way of letting folks know that the blind person has just as keen an eye. The word blind trumps all else.
We blind people are up against something much bigger and deeper ingrained than merely proving that we are capable human beings. Even as the waitress says to me, My, you people do so wonderfully well. She is responding to our collective understanding of blindness, not to me. Ten years after I had been totally blind, my dad said, By golly, I believe that blind people really can do anything they set their minds to. I was taken aback. Dad, I said, I don't understand. You have always agreed with me that blind people can live normal lives just as sighted people do. Well, Dad said, I understood what you were saying, and intellectually it made sense. But now I really believe it. Today I understand that at that point Dad had stepped past all of the accumulation of ingrained attitudes about blindness. And this is where rehabilitation must come to, more than just proving that we are as good as our sighted neighbors. Even with us proving that we can do some things better than they can, that will not change that underlying, unspoken accumulation of belief. It could be said that along with rehabilitating the blind person, we must rehabilitate our entire society. The Accessibility Lesson, which my co-workers and I learned during dinner, by Ron Brooks. In September of 2009, my employer established an internal committee called the North American Diversity Council, whose mission is to develop and implement programs that promote a culture which welcomes and fosters diversity and that helps us to increase the diversity of our suppliers and executive and managerial employees. I think it's fair to say that most companies view diversity as one that applies to gender, race, and ethnicity. So when my employer appointed me to the Diversity Council, I was very happy because this was a clear indication of my company's willingness to embrace a much more inclusive definition of diversity and role for our fledgling Diversity Council. Needless to say, I accepted the invitation to serve on the Council. And today, I consider this fairly small work assignment as one of my most important and treasured duties. As a fairly assertive and relentless advocate, I have spent a lot of time educating our Diversity Council on disability issues and on ensuring that any programs developed by the Council include a focus on people with disabilities. As a result, I've earned a bit of a reputation for being passionate, outspoken, and perhaps a bit heavy-handed with my efforts to promote the needs of the disability community. Still, there are some lessons which we advocates just can't teach without help from the unknowing public. And recently, the Diversity Council and I were given a perfect lesson about how far our society's attitudes about blindness have come, and about the long journey that yet remains. Our council was holding a face-to-face -face meeting outside of Chicago, and at the end of a long day of theoretical discussions about growing the diversity of our executive team, we set out for dinner at a nearby restaurant. The restaurant we chose is a well-known and respected regional chain, and we were all made welcome. In fact, the hostess offered to bring me the Braille menu before I had time to ask. When she returned, she gave me the menu and apologized for the fact that the menu was about a year out of date. She went on to apologize for the inconvenience, and she offered to answer any questions I had about the current availability or price of anything on the outdated menu. I thanked her and explained that I would go through the menu and let her know. 
Shortly after this encounter, the restaurant manager came by to add his greeting to our fairly large and professionally dressed party. We had out of town and big tippers written all over us. The manager also apologized for the old menu. He put the menu's age at a year and a half out of date, and he went as far as to say that the restaurant's menu production company was having trouble with the braille, a statement that I sincerely doubted, since under the absolute worst of circumstances, a year and a half is longer than it takes for production of a braille menu. Now, at this point, I had a tough decision to make. Should I show appreciation for what the restaurant had done? After all, they were very welcoming to me and very apologetic for their lack of an accessible menu. Or should I confront them on their inability to provide true accessibility? After all, they were more than a year without an accessible Braille menu, and no amount of courtesy could change this fact. The decision about how to respond was made more difficult by the presence of my company's entire diversity council, all of whom were watching quietly while I managed this exchange. Had I been alone, with Lisa or with a group of blind friends, I might have elected to thank them for their consideration and just leave well enough alone. However, with the entire diversity council looking on, I felt that I had an obligation to walk the talk. After all, we had just spent an entire day discussing the need to create a workplace that promotes diversity, and I had spent the same day demanding that people with disabilities be part of the company's diverse workforce and supplier network. Thus, not challenging the restaurant for its inaccessibility would be little more than cowardice on my part. Stuck between the rock that was the restaurant's positive attitude and open admission of inaccessibility, and the hard place that was the collective opinion of my company's diversity council about the need to promote diversity while challenging barriers to inclusion, I had no choice but to speak up. I thanked the restaurant manager for what he and his staff had done and tried to do regarding accessibility. But I went on to point out that without access to the restaurant's menu, true accessibility did not exist. I then asked the restaurant manager to think about how he would feel if he were in my shoes and if he had just learned that the restaurant either could not or would not spend the small amount of time and resources needed to produce a menu for him to read on his own. I asked the manager to think about what the restaurant's actions would be saying about his value to them as a person or as a customer. Basically, I tried to get the manager to recognize that the restaurant's efforts, while partial, tended to communicate a total lack of caring for those customers who need Braille menus to independently enjoy a night out. I realized that my approach was heavy-handed, and sure enough, the manager's demeanor was sad as he left our table to return to his other duties. I can imagine that he was probably trying to justify himself by counting up all the little things that his staff did right, things like welcoming me and my service animal, offering to read the menu and answer questions, and their willingness to apologize for the inaccessibility of their menu. Still, I ended up with an opportunity to drive home a very important lesson for my employer's diversity council, namely that the true inclusion of people with disabilities has both attitudinal and practical components. Being open to people with disabilities and their dogs is important, but providing the physical and programmatic access that people need to participate on an equal footing is just as important, if not more so. 
I also got a chance to acknowledge the intentions of a business without having to endorse its actions or the results of its efforts, which fell short of full access. Aside from telling a story about me, my company's diversity council, and of my experience in that well-respected but less-than-accessible Chicago-area restaurant, I have a reason for sharing this story. Each day, at least one, or perhaps many of us, encounter a business or agency that has good intentions about complying with the ADA and or about meeting our access needs, but which falls short on one or both counts. In these situations, what do we do and what should we do? Should we show appreciation for the business or agency's good intentions, or should we demand full compliance with the law or the full accommodation of our access needs? This is a hard question, but in my opinion, we can and should strive to do both. After all, if we can take the time to notice and acknowledge the good which has been done, or at least which society has striven to do, then perhaps we can encourage those critical next steps. On the other hand, if we opt for gratitude without a corresponding demand for true access, we will be giving up without a fight, and we will be leaving the struggle for the future generations of our movement. In subsequent discussions with members of the Diversity Council who witnessed this episode, I got unanimous agreement that my approach was the right one to take. That felt good, but I got something else that was even more important. I gained a table full of people who have a new appreciation for what businesses can and should do in order to create access for people with disabilities, and I trust that each and every one of those people will take this lesson to our current employer and to all of their future employers and places of business. As a result, my momentary discomfort and confusion will be avoided for dozens of future blind and visually impaired people who just want a good steak and a nice glass of wine with their co-workers and friends. 15 Ways to Maximize Your ACB Membership by Kenneth Semyon Sr. All too often, people join organizations without taking advantage of the opportunity to truly know intricate details of its purpose, mission, and operating practices. This can very well result in a lack of participation and could ultimately result in a decision to forfeit what could have been the ideal vehicle to enhance your life, build great relationships, and effectively share personal skills and abilities that can make an enormous difference. In an effort to encourage you to explore the meaningful efforts of ACB, I have included the tips listed below to assist you in being all you can be and help you join with others whose skills complement yours. 1. Be inquisitive and don't hesitate to ask questions. 2. Become familiar with the history, mission, and purpose by reviewing it often enough to be able to repeat it to others. In turn, someone may realize that this is the organization they have been looking for. 3. Make a personal commitment to identify ways to get involved. 4. Find out who the officers are and become acquainted with them and their roles and responsibilities, as well as members you observe actively participating in events and projects associated with our organization. 5. Make your skills and abilities known to the leaders of your chapter, affiliate, or the president of our organization. 6. Make every effort to participate in chapter, state affiliate, and national meetings, 
seminars, conferences, and conventions. 7. Inquire about available committees you may be able to serve on to assist the organization in achieving its goals and objectives. Seek to join committees that allow you to utilize your skills and abilities in the most effective and efficient manner. 8. If you have access to the Internet, sign up for up to date news and announcements from all levels of our organization. Ask a president or member to tell you how to take advantage of this option. 9. Listen to or read publications slash newsletters distributed by our organization on all levels. This is one of the best ways to learn about useful resources, access inspirational stories, scholarships, awards, and upcoming projects and events. 10. Identify special interest groups that meet your personal needs. These groups provide you the opportunity to network with others sharing common interests, such as your prior or current occupation, hobbies, health concerns, and so much more. 11. Obtain your own copy of the Constitution and bylaws to learn of the agreed upon operating practices and procedures of our organization. 12. Prepare for future involvement as an officer by becoming familiar with officer titles and duties. 13. Participate in conference calls to build your knowledge, such as membership focus calls, periodic office hours conference calls with the ACB president, committee calls, And special interest group calls. 14. Explore the websites of your chapter, state affiliate, and our national organization. You may locate information on the website that you didn't think of inquiring about. 15. Pay your annual dues faithfully and encourage others to do the same. The more you know and the more you become involved, The more you will begin to know that you have joined a phenomenal organization that is continuing to grow. Have a great ACB adventure. Affiliate News Cincinnati Chapter Participates in Flying Pig Marathon. The American Council of the Blind of Ohio, Greater Cincinnati Chapter, participated in the Flying Pig Marathon events for the second time this year. The Flying Pig Marathon attracts participants from 50 states and over 20 countries with around 30,000 participants this year. Three of our ACB OGCC members walked the half marathon, and a woman who is legally blind from Irmo, South Carolina, won the Flying Pig Marathon in the women's division. Dave Perry, 32, guided by Sue Hill, and Joyce Rogers, 68, guided by Mary Beth Donnellan. Crossed the finish line for the half marathon. Amy McDonough, 34, of Irmo, South Carolina, was the first woman to cross the finish line. Amy had enough vision to run by following others, and then she was leading all other women. What an achievement! ACB OGCC had a total of 16 people in three events the half marathon, the 10K, and the 5K. They included members and friends of members. Who assisted as additional guides. The ACB OGCC members were Joyce Asher, Melody Banks, Mary Ann Donnellan, Mary Beth Donnellan, Annie Donnellan, Mark Forresterling, Deborah Kendrick, Kate Morse, Terry Olandes, Dave Perry, and Joyce Rogers. Friends and additional guides were Donna Faust, 
Mary Lou Houseman, Sue Hill, Elizabeth Williams, and Greg Wilmhoff. Thanks to the Cincinnati and Northern Kentucky Honda dealer, which donated $370 for our T-shirts, and thank you to the many people who sponsored our walkers. We are truly proud of Amy McDonough, Flying Pig winner, and all of our ACBOGCC members and friends who walked the 5K, the 10K, and the half marathon. Thanks to all our members and friends who served as guides. We are sure 2012 will be even bigger and better. Passings. We honor here members, friends, and supporters of the American Council of the Blind who have impacted our lives in many wonderful ways. If you would like to submit a notice for this column, please include as much of the following information as possible. Name, first, last, maiden, if appropriate. City of residence, upon passing. State or province of residence, upon passing. Other cities, states, countries of residence, places where other blind people may have known this person. Occupation, date of death, day if known, month, Year, age, ACB affiliation, local, state, special interest affiliates, or national committees. Deaths that occurred more than six months ago cannot be reported in this column. Krauss, Dr. Robert. Dr. Robert Krauss, 71, died April 5th at his home in the Villages, Florida. Krauss grew up in Michigan, the youngest of seven children. His mother was a teacher. After high school, he followed in his mother's footsteps, graduating from Western Michigan University with a bachelor's degree in education and a master's degree in special education. In 1968, Krauss and his wife, Maxine Caven, moved to Birmingham, England, where he took a job as director of the National Mobility Center. It was during that assignment that Krauss developed a system that helped blind and visually impaired people learn to walk with a cane. He returned to the United States in the early 1970s, working as executive director of the Atlanta Area Services for the Blind. In 1979, he accepted what he thought would be a temporary assignment at the main institution for the blind. The institution was in the process of closing. Quote, Dad went to the board of directors and told them, I think we can turn this around, unquote, his son Eric Krauss recalled. He was subsequently hired as the school's executive director, serving in that role from 1979 to 1995. Krauss not only worked with blind and visually impaired people, he taught others to be their teachers. He also developed several programs that allowed blind and visually impaired people to make products. None of those programs were lucrative, but they taught valuable job skills. Quote, There were more important things in this life to my father than making money, unquote, his son said. When I was looking through his desk drawers recently, I found dozens of notes and thank-you letters from the people he had mentored. In 1995, Krauss returned to Atlanta to become executive director of the Blind and Low Vision Services of North Georgia. He retired in 2006. A memorial service, date and time to be announced, will be held this summer in Portland. Letter to the Editor the contents of this column reflect the letters we have received by the time we went to press, June 3, 2011. Letters are limited to 300 words or fewer. All submissions must include the author's name and location. 
Opinions expressed are those of the authors. Thoughts on Rehabilitation Here are some thoughts about vocational rehab, past, present, and future. I was born in South Dakota in 1953. I was one of the RLFers and went to the South Dakota School for the Blind and Visually Impaired from kindergarten through my junior year of high school. Then I transferred to Tulare High School, where I graduated in 1971. I attended Dakota Wesleyan University for two years and the University of South Dakota for four and a half years to receive my bachelor's and master's degrees. In those days, I had an actual vocational rehabilitation counselor who actually counseled. He did slip up sometimes, like when he sent me to a job seeking workshop and forgot to have me prepare a resume. Recently, I went to a rehab counselor to talk about working from home because of health reasons. The counselor recommended medical transcription. That's really idiotic since everybody is going electronic. Today, a person of any age who wants to work must decide what vocation he or she truly wants to pursue and find out if he or she really can do it. My advice is to do your research and then forge ahead and never stop. Dan Marshall, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Set your course. Have you always dreamed of becoming a poet? How about a novelist, journalist, or children's story writer? Have you written fiction or articles you are afraid to publish? What if you're the next J.K. Rowling but have cold feet? Don't be frightened. Behind our eyes is a writing group just for you. We meet via telephone twice a month on Sunday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern. Some weeks, speakers such as playwrights, editors, grant writers, poets, bloggers, and teachers present tips on their craft and answer questions. Sometimes we critique each other's short works from previously suggested prompts. Currently, we are working toward production of a second anthology of our group's writings. One of our members also started a publishing support group, which encourages members by sharing individual success stories. And advice for staving off frustration over rejection letters. Tips for where to publish abound, and problem solving techniques are given whenever a participant asks for assistance. In order to join our group, you must disclose your disability, provide contact information, and have a strong desire to see your name in print or braille or on BARD, or anywhere for that matter. We are informal and welcome anyone who is eager to learn. We believe each one of us has something important to contribute. If interested, please contact Elisa Bush, E L I S A B U S C H, via email, G J B U S C H at Comcast.net, phone 571 257 address 300 Yoakum Parkway, Y O A. KUM, apartment 622, Alexandria, Virginia, 22304. Pick up your computer, note taker, braille writer, pen, slate, and stylus, whatever you have, and set your course toward publication. Here and There. Edited by Sue Lichtenfels. The announcement of products and services in this column. Does not represent an endorsement by the American Council of the Blind, its officers, or staff. 
Listings are free of charge for the benefit of our readers. The Braille Forum cannot be held responsible for the reliability of the products and services mentioned. To submit items for this column, send a message to info at acb.org or phone the national office at 1-800-424-8666 and leave a message in Sharon Lovering's mailbox. Information must be received at least two months ahead of publication date. End of Side 2 Side 3 The Braille Forum Volume 50, July-August, 2011 Number 1 This side contains High-Tech Swap Shop Continuing with Here and There Edited by Sue Lichtenfels Adult Rehabilitation and Employment Survey the Professional Development and Research Institute on Blindness at Louisiana Tech University is currently conducting a survey of blind and visually impaired individuals over age 18. The survey seeks to gain information about experiences with vocational rehabilitation services, adjustment to blindness training, education, and employment. The survey should take about 10 minutes to complete and is confidential. Each person who completes the survey will be entered to win one of five $100 Visa gift cards. Surveys can be done by phone or online. To make an appointment for the survey by phone, call 318-257-4554 or email dseilhan at l-a-t-e-c-h dot e-d-u. The online survey is available at www dot surveymonkey.com s-u-r-v-e-y-m-o-n-k-e-y dot com slash s slash 25bx5y6 Scholarships for Teaching O&M Salus University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania offers certificates and master's degree programs in orientation and mobility. The school offers several scholarships for individuals interested in teaching children and who already possess an undergraduate degree. Both full and part-time course loads are available. The program includes mostly online courses, with a few done on-site in Philadelphia during the summer. To request application materials or get more information, call 215-780-1360 or email l-d-e-l-l-i-n-g-e-r at salus dot edu. The application materials are available online at www.salus.edu slash CER slash GRAD underscore application underscore process dot HTML. Oral Hull Summer Camps The Oral Hull Foundation is a camp for the blind located in the foothills of Mount Hood in Oregon. With average summer temperatures in the 80s, the park offers a variety of relaxing activities and outdoor adventures. Openings are still available for its summer sessions. Session 2, Adult Adventure 2, July 25 through 31. Session 3, Friends and Alumni, August 5 through 11. Session 4, Moderate Adventure Camp, August 15 through 22, and Session 5, Family Camp, August 25 through 28. 
Some financial assistance is available for Oregon residents. For a camper application, visit www.oralhull.org, email oralhull at teleport.com, T-E-L-E-P-O-R-T, or call 503-668-6195. Revitalizing Wapanaki Many may remember Camp Wapanaki, nestled in the Green Mountains at the base of Mount Mansfield. Seek the Sun Ministries, Incorporated is taking a serious look at this property and making it accessible year-round for the disabled and their families. Wapanaki is located in Hardwick, Vermont, and sits on 350 acres of rolling hills and beautiful forests. Some of the original buildings still exist, like the Rec Hall, Dining Hall, and the historic Trout Lodge. New are a horse stable and corral. There are also trails that wind all along the property, including around the lake. If you are interested in helping Seek the Sun to purchase this property, visit www.seekthesun.org or send email to Teresa at seekthesun.org, T-H-E-R-E-S-A at S-E-E-K-T-H-E-S-O-N dot org or Ken at SeekTheSun dot org K-E-N at S-E-E-K-T-H-E-S-O-N dot org or call us at 763-691-9584 Employment and Technology Institute Visions, Services for the Blind and Visually Impaired in New York City will hold its fifth annual Employment and Technology Institute July 22 through 28. Entitled TechSmart, Technology for Employment Success, the conference will include workshops on Assistive Technology at Work, Why It Pays to Work, Apples and Windows Accessibility, Job Seekers Empowerment Tools, and understanding the state's vocational rehabilitation system. There will also be a technology expo with hands-on demos of the latest assistive devices. Interested individuals over age 18 can register by emailing institute at visionsvcb.org, I-N-S-T-I-T-U-T-E at V-I-S-I-O-N-S-V-C-B dot org, or by calling 212 212- 625-1616, extension 130. Become Certified in Literary Braille The National Blindness Certification Board has announced several exam dates and locations for individuals interested in getting certified to teach or proofread Braille. In 2011, National Certification in Literary Braille, NCLB, examinations will be held afternoons of July 4th and 5th in Orlando, Florida, and August 14th in Austin, Texas. Additional dates and locations will be posted along with sample tests and application procedures on www.nbpcb.org nclb. The six-hour exam covers four sections, writing with a Braille writer, writing with slate and stylus, proofreading, 
and a multiple-choice test on the rules. For more information or to discuss hosting an exam session, contact Deja Powell at dpowell at latech dot edu or at 318-257-2029. Seedlings Expands Collection Seedlings Braille Books for Children has recently added 33 new titles to its selection. The new additions include preschool books like Curious George at the Park and Ten Little Fingers and Ten Little Toes, short chapter books like American Girls, Changes for Kirsten, and Magic Treehouse No. 35, Night of the New Magicians, and novels for teens like How to Train Your Dragon, Book 1, and Newbery Award winner, The Graveyard Book. The list of new books is available at www.seedlings.org, S-E-E-D-L-I-N-G-S dot org, slash what's new dot php, W-H-A-T-S-N-E-W dot php. To request a copy of the catalog, send email to info at seedlings dot org, S-E-E-D-L-I-N-G-S dot org, or call 1-800-777-8552. Electronic catalogs can be downloaded from www.seedlings dot org. Children in the U.S. and Canada are eligible to receive two Seedlings books for free each year through the Seedlings Book Angel Program. When visiting the Seedlings website, Fill out the Angel Program application with the child's choice of four books. Seedlings will send two of the four within the year. Mission Accomplished Stephanie Peck is extremely grateful to all individuals and organizations who contributed Braille materials to the library in Malawi. The library has already changed the lives of many blind people in Malawi. There was such an overwhelming response to her requests that the project has reached its maximum capacity. Please do not send her any additional material at this time. New Site on Employment of Disabled The National Employer Technical Assistance Center has launched www.askearn.org as a one-stop resource to assist employers in recruiting, hiring, and retaining employees with disabilities. The site offers information on workplace accessibility, case studies of successful hires, listings of conference and training opportunities, the earned newsletter, etc. There is also a link to the Workforce Recruitment Program, a job matching service that provides employers information on pre-screened candidates with disabilities who are seeking internships and employment. Word 10 with speech. Dean Martineau has compiled a quick reference guide for individuals using Word 10 with a screen reader. Word 2010 keyboard commands with JAWS 12.0, Window Eyes 7.2, and System Access 3.2 shares the most commonly used keyboard commands as well as instructions for how to customize the keyboard and the quick access toolbar. The book is available in one Braille volume, eBraille, or Word. 
visit www.nbp.org slash ic slash nbp slash word 2010kc.html or call 1-800-548-7323 for more information. Increased Internet Access Via the Phone NetEcho is a subscription-based service that enables individuals without use of a computer to access the online world using any phone. Internet Speech, creator of the NetEcho service, has recently updated its software to make surfing the Internet and accessing email more user-friendly. The update provides for increased navigation of Twitter and Facebook, enhancement to the search command, spoken shortcuts for commonly spelled or used phrases, streaming video capability for WMV files, additional support features for SMS texting, avoidance of most JavaScript-related messages, and fewer account locking issues. Current users can learn about all the updates by saying, What's new? from the main menu. For more information about NetEcho, call 408-532-8460 or visit www.internetspeech.com. Rhode Island Voter Registration The U.S. Department of Justice and the State of Rhode Island have come to an agreement which will bring the state into compliance with the National Voter Registration Act, NVRA. A lawsuit was filed alleging that Rhode Island violated federal law by not offering voter registration services at its public assistance offices and state agencies providing services to people with disabilities. The agreement requires Rhode Island to begin offering voter registration opportunities to all applicants for public assistance, WIC, Rehabilitative Services, Developmental Disabilities Services, and Mental Health Services. Distributing voter registration applications in public assistance and disability service offices and via mail. Training employees on NVRA compliance. Conducting regular internal compliance audits. And reporting the number of voter registration applications processed by public assistance and disability service offices. For more information about federal voting laws, visit www.justice.gov. J-U-S-T-I-C-E dot G-O-V slash C-R-T slash A-B-O-U-T slash V-O-T To file a complaint about discriminatory voting practices, call 1-800-253-3931. Jumbo Backpack Ann Morris Bliss is still in business. She now has available a jumbo waterproof black backpack with red highlights for sale. It measures 18 inches by 15 inches by 8.5 inches and includes padding on the adjustable straps and against the back. Pockets include a large double zipper which can hold a 17-inch laptop, two smaller zippered front pockets, and two side mesh pockets. Contact Anne via email a-N-N-B-L-I-S-S-1 at gmail.com for more information or call her 
at 845-282-0643. Access to print documents via the iPhone. Zoom Reader is a new application for the iPhone 4, which enables users to magnify print information or convert printed text to speech via OCR software. As a video magnifier, the software enables the phone's camera to zoom in and apply colored filters to increase visibility. By snapping a picture of a document, the OCR software will convert the text to speech and read the document aloud. The app can be used with voice commands as well. Zoom Reader can be purchased and downloaded from the iTunes App Store. For additional information about this AI Squared product, visit www.aisquared.com or call 1-800-859-0270. Get your writing published. Magnets and Ladders is an online literary magazine published by Behind Our Eyes, Incorporated. Writers with disabilities are encouraged to submit short fiction, poetry, memoirs, essays, and articles on writing for publication in the magazine. The next submission deadline is August 15 for the fall-winter issue. To learn more about submission guidelines, seminars on writing, and joining the group's email list, visit www. M-A-G-N-E-T-S-A-N-D-L-A-D-D-E-R-S dot org. That's www.magnetsandladders.org. New name for RFB and D. Learning Ally is the new name for what readers formerly knew as Recording for the Blind and Dyslexic, RFB and D. After research, including several focus group discussions, the organization felt the name change was necessary for several reasons. It serves people with disabilities other than blindness and dyslexia. In the future, it intends to provide more services than just recorded books. And finally, the organization sees itself as an advocate or ally of students facing barriers in the educational process. The new website is www. L-E-A-R-N-I-N-G-A-L-L-Y dot org. High-Tech Swap Shop For sale 40-cell refreshable braille display in good condition comes with all cables asking $2,500 Call Steve at 704-531-6878 or 704-661-0905 or send email to larmontgome at b-e-l-l-s-o-u-t-h dot net. For sale, IDMate 2-Bar Code Reader comes with carrying case and strap and user's manual asking $200. Contact Gail Chambers via email gchambers at musfiber.com or 423-587-2914. Please put 
IDMate two-bar code reader in your subject line. For sale, ET Braille embosser, five years old, rarely used, does single and double-sided embossing, accommodates wide paper, asking $1,000. Call Gladys at 480-472-0678. For sale, Reason Color Video Magnifier, mint condition, camera only, no monitor, asking $1,095. Will ship if needed. Contact David at dpw112 at aol.com or 941-376-1586. For sale, Humanware 2010 Trekker with PDA, GPS receiver, and maps for the entire United States, plus many talking PDA functions, including wireless internet, calendar, note-taker, and much more. In perfect condition, works extremely well, comes with all discs, shoulder harness, and charging dock. Asking $600 or best offer. Call Al Ducharme at 410-382-6506 or email him at d-u-c-h-a-r-m-e dot a-l-f-r-e-d at gmail.com For sale Laptop computer with large print keyboard, printer, and camera Asking $350 for the computer $900 for the whole package Contact Alzia Jackson at 562-599-4720 or 562-326-8014 For sale, never used Juliet Pro 60 Braille embosser with single sheet tractors and ET speaks. Does regular Braille and tactile graphics. Asking $3,800 or best offer with free shipping within the United States. Barely used PacMate Omni BX400 with Perkins style Braille keys. Asking $1,250 or best offer with a free executive case and free shipping within the United States. For more information, email Otto Mercado at ojmercado at earthlink.net or call him at 917-856-1720. For sale, desktop computer with 2 gigs of RAM, 1 TB hard drive, Windows 7 Home Premium Edition, JAWS, Microsoft Office, and Nero. Asking $700 includes shipping. Toshiba Laptop with 15.6-inch wide screen, 3 gigs RAM, 250 gig hard drive, Windows XP Professional, JAWS, Zoom Text, Microsoft Office, and Nero. Asking $700 includes shipping. Contact Jose at 818-220-220. 6256. For sale. Extreme Reader ER1. Brand new. Still in the box. Asking $1,500 or best offer. Contact Charlie Davis at 803-894-5654. For sale. PacMate 
QX400. Comes with carrying case and strap, quick start cards in braille and print, quick start guide, companion CD, contains MS Active Sync 3.7 and Outlook 2002 software for desktop PC, AC adapter, A to Mini B USB cable, and user's documentation CD. Used only a few hours. Asking $1,000 plus $20 shipping and insurance. Kurzweil NFB Reader Mobile Kit, KNFB Reader Software, and Nokia N86 Phone. Asking $1,200. Hardly used. All instructional materials are included. Contact Larry Raley at jlr1 at att.net or 281-444-0907. For sale. Braille TDD for the deaf-blind. Never used. Comes with its own carrying case. Asking $650. Contact Donna Webb at 501-655-4369 or 501-249-6196. For sale. Franklin Language Master Talking Dictionary in excellent condition. Comes with speech output, thesaurus, dictionary, and many other features. Asking $150. Call Caitlin at 517-227-1122. Wanted. Sharp Talking Calculator Clock. Contact Dan at 989-842-9145. Wanted. Used Cubase VST32 version 5 software. Contact Peter at 707-227-4950. ACB Officers. President. Mitch Pomerantz. 1115 Cordova Street, number 402, Pasadena, California, 91106. First Vice President, Kim Charlson, 57 Grandview Avenue, Waterton, Massachusetts, 02472. Second Vice President, Brenda Dillon, 313 Overridge Cove, Hermitage, Tennessee, 37076. Secretary, Marlena Lieberg, 632 South 189th Street. Berrien, Washington, 98148. Treasurer, Mike Godino, 104 Tilrose Avenue, Malvern, New York, 11565-2024. Immediate past president, Christopher Gray, 94 Ramona Avenue, San Francisco, California, 94103. ACB Board of Directors Ray Campbell, Glen Ellen, Illinois Burl Colley, Lacey, Washington Janet Dickelman, St. Paul, Minnesota Marsha Farrow, Somerville, Georgia Michael Garrett, Missouri City, Texas George Holliday, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania Billy Jean Keith, Arlington, Virginia Alan Peterson, Horace, North Dakota. Jeff Tom, Sacramento, California. David Trott, Talladega, Alabama.
Ex Officio, Janine Stanley, Columbus, Ohio. Board of Publications, Paul Edwards, Chairman, Miami, Florida. Marcia Dresser, Reading, Massachusetts. Judy Jackson, Austin, Texas. Janine Stanley, Columbus, Ohio. Ken Stewart, Warwick, New York. Ex officios, Ron Milliman, Bowling Green, Kentucky. Bob Hache, Waltham, Massachusetts. End of side three.